I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Here we go. You getting tired of that yet? Let's go. Another episode of Pocket Presence. Episode, who knows? I don't know. Probably closer to 69 than zero, but we're going to get this thing rolling, Tyler. Good morning. Good morning. You're wrong. Episode 18, and I believe 18 is closer to zero than it is to 69. You're but probably right. Regardless, we move on. We we also have found ourselves synced up with the week of the NFL. Not intentional, but About time. fun nonetheless. We played catch up, dude. We launched this podcast, man, two months. We launched this in December, I think. I feel mm. like we've been doing this podcast. I feel like me and you have been doing it for four months. I feel like I've been doing it for like six months. But here we are, two months later. We're rolling, got a bunch of stuff in the in the oven cooking, and we are creeping up on NFL playoffs and it's getting wild. How do you feel about like this week particularly? Like I'm a little I'm like, all right, let's get through the games that don't matter and like give me the games that do matter, inject them into my veins because I need it. I agree. I'm biased. I'm a Packers fan, so it is a win and in game and so you get hyped up for that but yeah you look around and you just start hearing all the news of Carson Carson Wentz starting Sam Darnold starting Tyler Huntley starting and that doesn't really get you excited to watch football but nonetheless I think we have to appreciate football while we can because come April May June it starts to get dire and I I am looking forward for those episodes because we can get creative and I think there's a lot of fun things we can do in the offseason but I agree just will long for the days where you could even watch Carson Wentz play football in the middle of June (laughs) which is we're we're in like April just like under the covers like binging Netflix like give me Carson Wentz give me Carson like give me something but no dude I'm I feel you there and like I think that's the fun part of this this show or podcast like during the season I feel like we're so heads down and we have so much to cover but I am looking forward to like conversely in the off season, being able to dive into some like fun topics, maybe do some rebuilds, maybe some like draft prep, all that good stuff. Like we're obviously going to talk about combine draft, college players, everything in between. But I think some of the creative stuff will be a lot of fun, a lot of lists, love lists. So I'm looking forward to all of it, but I'm also looking forward to being very present for this week 18. And we have a lot at stake and I'm like, I'm looking at this board dude. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know about the Bills. The last two weeks, they yeah. almost lost the teams they shouldn't have. Then you got Miami. Tyreek's, Tyreek Hill's house is on fire while he's in a walking boot. Like, like I feel bad for him because of his house. Hope everybody's safe. But I can't help the implications of seeing him in a walking boot. And maybe that's a little bit out of touch. I don't know. That was like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? Yeah, the, I mean, an interesting way you know for us mean? all to find out. Yeah, no, I, I agree. To, to your point on the Bills, I'm, I'm curious this Bills team kind of like team of destiny is thrown around a lot where you just have this, you know, I think the Browns have this, where they just are riding some momentum that seems to now be bigger than the talent that's on the field or the schemes that, you know, Stefanski can cook up. Is there like a sense that a team can get, maybe the Bills are one of these teams where they're like, I don't know how we've been winning these games, but we have been, and we just got to ride that good feeling into the playoffs. Yeah, dude. I think like that's the beauty of having a quarterback like Josh Allen is like when things look ugly, when you have a big guy that can run the ball, it kind of covers up some holes in the pass game. Covers it like the fact that he can get three to four yards of pop falling forward is like a get out of jail free card for play calling or for bad games or for like players not being in sync. It's like, all right, all right, like, like just cut this QB power, right? Like wide zone, right? Like there's just, there's a little bit of a crutch that comes with a quarterback like him and to the bills benefit, like it's been winning them games. So it doesn't have to be pretty. They're a team that people don't really want to play because it's not going to be pretty. And they're going to drag you out to the deep water, like Dan Campbell says, and we're going to, they're going to see what's up. So 
Um, I, I wouldn't call the Bills a team of destiny, but I will say it's been impressive just that they found as many wins down the stretch as they have. But then again, like you look at them like early in the year, they were Super Bowl favorites for some people, right? Like they were, this was their year, Josh Allen on the, on the cover of Madden. Like their talent, talented rosters coming back, like more cohesiveness. And it just hasn't been. So as, you know, exciting as it been, has been that a quote, bad teams turned out to find ways to win at the end. It's still, in my opinion, a disappointing season for them. You mentioned Josh Allen. We just had the Pro Bowl rosters announced. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we have a lot of actual football to talk about, but a lot of big snubs come out of this announcement. Josh Allen being the big one, he's currently on a lot of sites third odds on for MVP voting. I, th- I think we all agree that Lamar has now run away with it, but yeah. being third in MVP voting and then not making uh, the Pro Bowl seems absolutely ridiculous. Who else stood out to you on this list of of not making it? And does it really even matter because it seems like increasingly maybe players don't even care? I think like, I think you can't really, I, I don't know. I don't think the Pro Bowl is the same. Obviously they're not playing a game, but I don't even look at it of like who got snubbed because at the end of the day, every single year when the players opt out and don't do it, there ends up being like five to eight Pro Bowl quarterbacks per conference. And it's like, they add that notch to their belt. And it's like, you got like Tyler Huntley last year with the Ravens who went to the Pro Bowl. And it's like, it wasn't a Pro Bowl quarterback, right? Like it's, he was, he was last year, but like when you have so many people opt out or so many people that get injured down the stretch, it's like, it's kind of like this year's passing leaders. Like, I don't know. Are, it's whoever's healthy at this point in the year gets kind of like thrust up into the top five, top 10 of the passing categories. And I don't know. I just, the Pro Bowl is nothing to me personally, where I think all pro is what matters. Like, give me the all pro list. Give me the NFL top 100 because those are the two that matter. The Pro Bowl, it's like more fan voting, more like who's got the social media going and whatnot for them, where I think the all pro accolade, that's the one. And after that, then it's NFL top 100. Yeah, it is interesting. I know know a lot of people call it a popularity contest. I looked into the voting. It's a third fan vote, a third coach vote, and a third player vote. So theoretically, people that know football, the players and the coaches, have a majority of the vote. But it might be a case where if there's, if you're so overwhelmingly popular mm-hmm. that the fan vote can just carry you into the Pro Bowl. Do you know, Kurt, the person that had the most amount of votes it was Brock for Purdy, the Pro Bowl? Right? It was Brock Purdy, which seems a little surprised. Like, he doesn't strike me as the most popular NFL player, yet there he is with the most amount of votes. Yeah, I think when you look at the landscape of the NFC, like, let's go, let's go pull up a quarterback list. So when you look at, like, what we got here, we got... Brock Purdy has 4,280 yards. He is second only behind Tua. And then you have Dak Prescott and Jared Goff, who have 4,200. But, like, Jared Goff's not going to – I mean, is he is he a Pro Bowler this year? Did we? Jared Goff was not listed on the – Yeah, like, I don't think, now. like, Jared Goff – I mean, Jared Goff has thrown 130 more balls than Brock Purdy to get, the same, to get less yards. Like, then you got Dak Prescott. Then you got Matt Stafford, who missed some time. And then there's both pro, both pro bowlers, by the way, Dak and Matt Stafford, both are the alternates to Brock Purdy. And then you have like Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts. Like, I mean, the, the NFC is really like underrepresented because you got guys like Kirk Cousins, who would have been a surefire pro bowler probably at this point if he had continued on his at least his like stat pace that he was at. Um, so it's just I'm not shocked to see Brock there, but I am like. I don't know. The pro bowl for me is like. 
it's not a waste of time. I think it's one thing that like, oh, I got that trophy. Like, let's move on. Or I got that accolade. Let's move on. It's at least for the players. I don't think it's those guys in the locker room. They're waiting for the AP like all pro. Like that's what they're, was he first team, second team, whatever. Um, but again, it's, I'm shocked looking at this list right now. Like Tua, Brock and Jared Goff are top three in passing in the NFL in the year 2023. It's not Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. It's not Justin Herbert. It's not Kirk Cousins. Like, so many guys have gotten hurt this year that it's like if you just stayed healthy, probably by process of how many pass attempts you have, you're going to be somewhere in the top ten. It doesn't indicate to you that co- coaching becomes a large part of this as well. You talk about you know, we talk about Ben Johnson all the time as Detroit's OC, probably going to be up for a head coaching job yeah. here. And then Mike McDaniel's and Kyle Shanahan are two of the greatest offensive minds in the league right now. It's kind of like uh, the Pro Bowl, you know, at least a, as far as quarterbacks are concerned, it might be as much of a coaching award as it is a, a player award for some of these quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Kyle Shanahan tree. Look, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You have three of the top nine quarterbacks coming directly from that like 2021 San Francisco staff or 2020. Yeah, it'd be 2021. You have Tua, who's with Mike McDaniel. You have Brock Purdy, who's still with Shanahan. Then you have CJ Stroud with Bobby Slowick, who just was there from last year, all in the top 10. It's efficiency in the scheme. What are they being asked to do? And then you got other guys. It's like Jared Goff has had a pretty good year, right? He's thrown 28 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He has a 96 rating. Like he's above average as a quarterback in the top 10 now. But if you had all these other guys healthy and you just watch them on tape, you wouldn't say that Jared's a top 10 quarterback by how he looks. But he's efficient for the most part, besides his four interception games here and there. Um, and he just throws the ball a lot. So I do think that, people have to take into account scheme situations they're in players around them. Like if you look at, if you look at CJ Stroud and his receiving core versus Jared Goff and his receiving core and running backs, like two guys are in two completely different situations and being asked to do way different things. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think it's a little unfair. Pro Bowl used to be in Hawaii, and this year it's in Camping World Stadium, which I believe is in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. I think it was in Las Vegas last year. If I was a player, I'd kind of want the all paid vacation with my family to Hawaii and yeah. play a flag football game maybe one day. Yeah, give me that. That'd be that'd be ideal. I yeah, I think I think Orlando is a little bit of a cop out. I don't know. Maybe Orlando won the bid for it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you, we know anything about the NFL, is they're going to put anything up for bid as they have the draft and maybe yep. now the Pro Bowl. So the teams with the most Pro Bowl players, I I think this is where it sorts it sorts out correctly for me anyway. The 49ers lead the league with nine Pro Bowlers, Ravens and the Cowboys with seven, Dolphins and Eagles with six. Chief Lions and Browns all with five. Those seem to me to be you know the best crop of teams. Mm-hmm. What's most interesting are the four teams without Pro Bowlers. You have the Panthers, Commanders, Patriots, all teams that are going to be picking or would have been picking in the top three or five of the draft. And then you have the Green Bay Packers with zero Pro Bowlers. What do you make of that, Kurt? Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm not going to lie to you. Like how, how far down is Jordan Love on that Pro Bowl list? Like as- I don't know voting. if we know the- yeah, I'm not sure if we know the full voting list, but it was noted that out of all the quarterbacks in the AFC and NFC who made the Pro Bowl, Jordan Love has more touchdown passes than all of them. Not that touchdown passes are at the end all be all, but statistically, you could make the argument that he's having a better year than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. You could make the argument he's having a better Patrick year. Patrick Mahomes than Matt got in the Pro Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is in the Pro Bowl. Yes. Yeah, that's bullshit. Like, that's, and that tells you everything you need to know. Like, this, Pat has not had a good year. 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Jordan Love has 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions with a way younger receiving core, a way younger like whole operation. 
And I mean, if you just look at them on film, even the rating, like Jordan Love, 93.8, Pat Mahomes, 92.6. Then you go and watch, like, what are they being asked to do? And like, how Jordan is literally playing at an MVP level this last month. And like recency bias at least should tell you, like, you should get an uptick in Pro Bowl voting. But again, I think real, real knowers of ball can look at what Jordan's doing and know that he belongs. And I would not be shocked to see him get an alternate anyways down the stretch into the Pro Bowl with how the playoffs might play out. Like Brock Purdy, probably going to a Super Bowl most likely. He's not going to go. You have Dak Prescott, might make a long stretch, long run into the playoffs. He's probably not going to go. Maybe, I don't know, we'll see. But I would not be shocked to see Jordan sneak his way in. But yeah, it's it's a popularity contest. Jordan Love got snubbed. He got snubbed. And and it's fun for us fans to talk about, you know, us us talking heads to talk about. But when you have, no offense to Tyler Huntley, who will be playing this weekend for the Ravens, he made the Pro Bowl last year. And so I don't think in the same breath you can say he got snubbed, this is a ripoff, and then also have an institution like the Pro Bowl have a backup quarterback go and and play in it. So it's, you know, you kind of got to look at both sides. I almost want to just go on Twitter right now and say Tyler Huntley made the Pro Bowl last year and Jordan Love didn't this year. Hmm. Blind resume, Tyler Huntley, Jordan Love. How does this guy make the Pro Bowl and this guy doesn't make the Pro Bowl? Man, that's tough. That's salacious. Let me let me, let me real quick. Let me cook this up live real quick. Okay. In the middle of recording, Walkert, Walkert is posting something salacious on Twitter. We're gonna go to our Twitter replies on at pocket underscore presence. Uh, be sure to follow us there so that you can get your questions answered on the show. We might have to check back in on that tweet, Kurt, at the end of the show yeah. and and see how it did in real time. But the first question we have. You talked about how Lamar Jackson, there's no reason he couldn't win MVP you know, every year for the next five years. Somebody asked, can Jordan Love win an MVP in the next five years? And you just mentioned he's playing at an MVP level recently. Is there anything to say he can't win this award in the next half decade? There's, there's definitely a way. I think, I really think if he plays the way that he has this entire month of December for 80 plus percent of the season next year, he will be top three in MVP regardless of who's hurt or who's not. Like, what is his? What are his stats the last few weeks? He's like seventeen touchdowns, one interception. He's fully capable. Let's go. Let's go check this out real quick. This is important. Look at his game log. He's first off. He's the number five fantasy quarterback this year. Number six overall. The last three weeks. God, even no. Let's go back even further. Dating back until week eleven. Two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions. That is eight, if my math is correct. Eight touchdowns, interceptions in that three-game stretch. Then he's one and one. So nine and one. Then he has 11 and one interception. And then we have 13 and one interception. 16 touchdowns to one interception, I believe, passing with two rushing touchdowns in that stretch. 18 touchdowns, one interception in a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-game stretch. In the most important stretch of the year, like had he played any less than that, they would not be in playoff consideration at all. He could not afford to make any mistakes. If you give me that for a bulk of the season and even slightly worse than that, I mean, that's dude. Jordan Love has thrown one interception in the last two months. Come on. He's thrown three interceptions in the last three months total. So yes, if he's playing like this next year with, maybe some new draft capital. Maybe they get like another stud receiver. Like give them give them some even more juice. I love the guys they have, but he doesn't even have a freaking Cortland Sutton. He doesn't have a George Pickens. Like he's got guys that are good at what they do, but they're not that nobody's that guy. 
And I don't know, man, it's, there's no reason why he couldn't do it. And it'd be really exciting to see because I think Jordan deserves every bit of success that he has. He's been patient. He's taken the time to learn like, and shout out to Aaron Rodgers for taking him under his wing and actually teaching him while he was there. He did not just throw him to the curb and, you know, give him the scraps. He took him under his wing for three years, whatever it was three, four years. And Jordan's ready. So Yes, Jordan could play at this level and win an MVP in the next five years. I think in the back of my head, the thing I'm most worried about for Jordan Love is that these last seven weeks are an anomaly and that next year he could look in some way, next week he could look in some way like he did the first half of the season. Is there something that you can say to us Packer fans to settle our nerves a little bit that this trajectory, this growth that he has is sustainable and will continue and he's not just going to revert back because this has been some fluky seven games. I will say this is sustainable because if you actually look at it, the flukiness in my opinion of the season was that five game stretch after week two, because in weeks one and two against the Chicago bears and the Atlanta Falcons, six touchdowns, zero interceptions in those two weeks. Like if you take the next one and one, one and two, Oh, and three, if you take a few of those weeks out before their bye week, he really just had a, he had a rough stretch against the saints the Lions the first time, the Raiders the second time, and then the Denver game. Like, that was kind of the rough stretch. Everything after that, for the most part, besides a game here and there, has been money. And that is also at the same time where if you look at their offense and the scheme and how they're running it and what they're being, what they're asking Jordan to do now, you could look at the film in the first few weeks and say it was way different than what they're doing now offensively. And LaFleur has evolved, thank God, because what they were doing before was not sustainable. It was not the best way to do it. And now they're like taking shots when maybe they don't need to, but they think they need to play. They're not afraid to make mistakes. Early on, they were afraid to make mistakes and they felt like they needed to play perfect. But now they're cooking. And I think that if there was a, you know, most improved award for coaches this year, it probably would go to LaFleur's play calling because the last half of the season, it's looked a lot better than it did in the first part. All right, let's move out to Denver. How does the Broncos and Russ situation impact team chemistry moving forward and potential free agent signings? Ooh, man, I think that, when you look at Sean Payton and how he's publicly treated Russell Wilson on the sideline and just kind of how he's talked about his players since he got there as if they're not his players, like Sean Payton went into this season and from the very first press conference, you felt this like, Oh shit, everyone's on an interview this year. We're not playing for Sean Payton. We're playing to try to impress him to stick around. And it's like, there was, it doesn't look like they were ever really on the same page between coach and team to try to reach a goal at the end. It was like this very much felt like an interview year for the team to Peyton to see who was worthy to stick around. It's kind of the vibe that I got from everything that I read, everything I heard him say, and how he publicly treated players on the sideline and post game. So I don't know, man. This is one of those things where it feels like he got there so late with so many contracts that he couldn't get his guys. So this offseason, I guarantee you he's going to clean house. He's going to get his quote guys and we'll see, but there's no more excuses after this year for him. Like if they don't put up this year and I'm sorry, dude, like they don't, how do they stack up against the Raiders? How do they stack up against the chiefs after the chiefs? Hopefully for their sake, reload this year. I could see the Broncos being bottom barrel of that division next year after, even after he gets his quote guys in. And then what's the excuse going to be then? I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that that's going to be a very enticing place to go free agent wise, knowing everything they know. Now there's going to be a couple guys probably to go and get their money, but yeah, you talk about a situation where 
it seems like all, you know, Sean Payton all of a sudden starts feeling the pressure. And then when everybody starts feeling the pressure, as it sounds like you've experienced in the past, you know, you, you talked about your time in Atlanta, like it just turns into a finger pointing exercise where nobody's looking out for the betterment of the collective and everyone's looking out for themselves. And that seems to get really ugly quickly. Yeah, it's dude. I, I just, yeah, I know I've went on Sean Payton a bunch and I just, Dude, we're, we all see where this is going. Is Sean? Do we do we actually think that Sean Payton is going to have a ten year career in Denver? I would be willing to bet a lot of money. No, is there like are there odds out there that I could bet on Sean Payton not lasting through twenty thirty in Denver? Because I would. Mm. And if I'm wrong, great, congrats to him. But we've seen this time and time again, where a new coach comes in from a different like era that thought he was whatever he was. And then he's out because, ah, it just didn't work here. And I don't know. I just, I don't think that's a way to build a team. I think you have guys like Mike McDaniel and you have guys like Dan Campbell that show you that you can be respectful and treat your players as if they're equal or on the same level as you and not be a tyrant. And right now it just looks like this, like I'm watching game of Thrones over there. Like, like I really feel like I'm watching like the land. Is it the Lannisters? Right. Get, yeah. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm watching the Lannisters like red wedding type shit going on in Denver where you have House of Stark down there in Miami. And you know what I mean? Like it's it's uh, I don't know. I just don't think it's it's the modern day of the NFL. And the other thing is when you're getting these players coming out of college that have been catered to and they have their NIL deals and they've already made all this money. And like some of these guys are making they're taking pay cuts going to the NFL from what they made in college. Like. There is no more of this like hierarchy of coaches being able to just talk down on players because the players need it. Like the neediness of a lot of these upper echelon players now financially is not there like it used to be because they have other things going off the field, other income, like the dynamic is different. And I think that was, I don't know, maybe that's part of why it didn't work with Russ and Peyton. Like Russ makes so much more money than Sean Peyton does. Like what Russ made this year and is guaranteed it's probably what three years of work for Sean Payton, right? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's some of that stuff going on that, like, it's human nature, dude. You know what people make in the room, and you know, like, it's just, I don't know. It's a weird, weird dynamic in the NFL because you have coaches that, like, make less than the players financially. And in a normal job, like, the people who make the most money are the ones with authority, where, like, the ones in the NFL that don't make as much as the top players think they have authority when they really don't. And it's more just like, how do we all work together cohesively? And it's it's so weird, dude. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a weird dynamic if you just look at an organizational structure. Totally. Well, speaking of coaches, Jim Harbaugh is going to play a national championship game here shortly, but we can't stop talking about his potential for an NFL return. What team do you think he would slot in best for as a coach just by fit quarterback. What are you even looking for when considering a coaching opportunity if you're Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, man. I, I look at like what division thrives on good defense. Like what division needs a solid defense to like make it happen. I could see, I could see Jim Harbaugh and I know Pittsburgh's probably not moving on from Tomlin, but I all, I could have seen him being a Pittsburgh Steeler running his stuff in the AFC North and being in the same division as his brother. That would have been wild. Like two times, could you imagine two times a year? Like that rivalry, it's just sick. But I don't think we're going to get that. Um, I could see him replacing Pete Carroll in Seattle. You remember Harbaugh obviously had a good, good run with the 49ers, knows the West well, knows how that division plays out too. I could see him going there if Pete Carroll gets fired. 
Um, I also could see him being a guy in the NFC North, but I don't think there's going to be vacancies this year. I, I don't. Sounds like Iberflus is coming back. Um, could also see him going to New England. I think he seems more personable than Belichick. And I think the Patriots could use a little bit of that because I think the stone coldness and like the, I don't know, the way that it's done there needs a little bit of a shakeup, but there's still this like legacy to be beheld. And I think he's the guy for that. So yeah, I just see a defensive, he needs to go where defense is needed and like cherished. And I think those are the North teams. Okay. Two that you didn't say that I thought you might. The LA Chargers obviously have a great quarterback situation. There have been reports. I forgot. I think it was Mike Greenberg went on Pat McAfee and said he talked to Jim Harbaugh and just unprompted Jim Harbaugh went for about five minutes about how much he loved Justin Herbert less than a year ago. And so that's potential. And then maybe you could also see a couple NFC West teams. The the commanders are obviously going to be looking for a coach. Uh, I think the Eagles could be... NFC East. Yeah, I think the Eagles could be a sneaky team who might could you imagine? have to fill a vacancy. And with all the pressure in the city, I mean, I think he would be the guy, the kind of figurehead that could handle Dude, it. I could totally see him. I didn't even think of Sirianni being on the hot seat, but after this debacle and like mismanagement of the roster, like their their GM does a hell of a job, obviously. But I think there's there's been looking like there's some incompetency from the coordinators, and that stems from the head coach because he's responsible with hiring the guys that he hired that have very little play calling experience or NFL experience at, at all. Like their offensive coordinator now has three years of NFL experience and the last two years, pri- not even three, this is his third year of NFL experience. Prior to that, he was a quarterback coach for two years in the same offense. So like it obviously looks way different. I think those guys are un- at this point underqualified with what they put in out on tape, like just showing that they're not as productive with the roster they have. Man, I could see Harbaugh definitely looking good and gang green. I think he fits that. I don't. He might not be edgy enough for Philly though. Like I, I don't know. Man. I think Harbaugh is a little too clean cut for Philly. <laughs> but sure. I don't know. I also think with the Chargers, I think the Chargers need a. If they're going to get another defensive head coach, they have got to have a just a score of an offense coordinator. And I don't know. I don't know who that might be right now. I could. I could see. Uh, the Lions OC going to the Chargers more than I could Harbaugh. I just, I think that Justin Herbert needs a bright offensive mind that sees it inside now in the room with him. That's a head coach more often than not, because that's kind of the way of the NFL right now. The most successful teams have that. It also seems like you need an organization too. When you consider what Harbaugh might be looking for in a fit, that's willing to give him quite a bit of power. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your counterpoint to the Eagles not being a good fit is they already have a really good GM in Howie Roseman. And I imagine Harbaugh would want some amount of control over personnel. And maybe they're not willing to give him that in yeah. Philly. Whereas in Washington with a new owner, they're more willing to, you know, sell the house to to Harbaugh to, to get him to come just because yeah. they're that desperate. Dude, I could, yeah, Washington's a, I think as far as like history of the organization, I think that's a fit. And I, it sucks because, Back in the day, Washington, like they used to be like a nasty team you didn't want to have to play. And in recent years, it's just been like, all right, thank God we play Washington this week because we'll probably get a dub. And I think you need a guy like Harbaugh to revitalize a franchise like that that's fallen so far from what their history says. Totally. Another great question we had come through. I really like this one. How much of a, quote, desire to play in a scheme affect an individual's success? Looking at the Packers situation, how much could the frustration with play calling be a proponent as opposed to injuries and youth? Mm. 
Ooh, that's a, I think that's, that's a really deep question. Um, I'm going to take my interpretation of it and run with it. So I think you look at guys like Odell Beckham, right? And like his choice to go to the Ravens, I think was a choice to try to win a Super Bowl again. And it's going to be hard nosed football. The receivers have to block more often. He's not going to get as many targets. It might not be as fun as playing in the Rams offense, but he made a decision to go try to chase another ring. So that was his incentive. And he obviously showed that he can make the big plays when he needs to, but he's not getting 10 targets a game like he could maybe in a different scheme. When he was with the Rams, he was taking over Cooper Cup's workload like before he got hurt. He was t- he was the reason that offense exploded the way it did. And then you have other guys where like, they're just trying to go get the money, right? Like try to get their targets and maybe go to a lesser team because they want to be the dude. So I think all of it changes. It's person to person and all of it does matter. And I think you can start to see... What has a person already done in his career and what might he want to accomplish the most next? Everyone wants to win a Super Bowl, but it's hard to win a Super Bowl. So like taking into consideration all the different factors, I think it's the best I can answer that question. But yeah, certain schemes, receivers specifically in free agency are asked to do a lot in the run game. Other schemes, like go be a baller. Sure. There's a second part of that question, which I now realize was a bit unrelated, but he says, looking at the Packers situation, how much could the frustration with play calling, which I'm not even sure we have a frustration not with play calling. You've actually been very complimentary of Matt LaFleur, but maybe early in the season, how much of that was the play calling versus injuries and youth? The Packers notably have a very young core mm-hmm. of receivers, backs, and quarterbacks. I think it was 50, 50 no, I'm going to say it was 60% play calling, 40% youth. And I don't think injuries have anything to do with it because injuries shouldn't affect play calling that much. And I think early in the year, Everyone, including LaFleur, was tiptoeing through what did they feel like they could do with Jordan? What did they feel like they could do with that offense? And what were they willing to expose these guys to? Where like they got to the point in the year where their back was against the wall and they said, F it, if we're going to mess up, if we're going to have our back against the wall, we're at least going to go out swinging. We're going to take shots. We're going to ask more of our young guys instead of holding their hands through it. They also simplified things where they needed to be simplified. There didn't seem to be as many miscues and routes. I just think it looks like the whole operation is more concise and that's, you know, kudos to the staff, kudos to Jordan for the extra time he's put in with the receivers to give them on the same page. But the crazy thing is, is like looking back earlier in the year, Jordan, in my opinion, hasn't played much different than he did early. He's played a lot cleaner, more consistently later, but he was still making plays like that early in the year that just were not connecting with players. The guys would be in the wrong spots. Like the chains wouldn't move because they ran the wrong route on third down. So then he never even got a chance to throw in the red zone because they're punting. So all this to say, like the they had to rip the bandaid off and realize that we're a young team, but we have to we have to grow up. We can't hold our guys' hands through this play calling process, and they're gonna have to go make plays. And they have been doing that. So um, I don't think that's really a point anymore. I don't think you can blame on the play calling, but early on. I was very critical and I think rightfully so. Um, And you've seen a change. So I think they internally after their bye week and what they saw and did their self scouts saw like, look, there's other things happening around the league. There's other easier ways to do it that we can put right into our scheme right now. And they've been doing that. All right. We're going to turn the clock back to about a month ago at the end of November, Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee talk about how Dak was one of his favorite quarterbacks to watch now that he's been watching a lot of football on TV this year. Do you agree with that opinion that Rodgers has about how he's playing the position at a high level, calling protection adjustments, things like that? Yeah, I fully agree. And I think the biggest thing with Dak right now is, and I know people like make fun of his cadence, but him 
with his own cadence and his own like way to say things and do things, it's like his offense now. It's not like you're reading in your install sheet. We say set hut green nineteen green nineteen set hut hut set hut like it's not this. It's like no, this is what we're like Dak. This is what we're doing. This is Dak right now. We're gonna go here. We go and you're gonna play off of my voice. And then if I need to slow it down, speed it up, whatever, you're gonna get in sync with me. So I don't have to think about my cadence. My cadence is gonna be second nature to me because it's my words, my like my saying whatever. He doesn't have to think about cadence and the guys around him spend so much time with hearing it. They don't have to think about it. Like cadence is actually a, a really important thing in the NFL, in my opinion, that most teams don't use as a weapon. Aaron Rodgers for the longest time has used it as a weapon. If you asked Aaron Rodgers to go and like change a cadence from the Packers to the um, Jets, you'd be asking him to change something that is literally another language to him that he's had for the last 10 years. And that'd be a learning curve for him. So let's take that out of the equation. Let him go play ball. So what Dak is doing, in my opinion, he's owning the entire pre-snap process with his language, with his voice, with how he like speeds it up, slows it down. He's able to stop things in their tracks, redirect cover or re redirect protection, remike people, know where things are coming. Like he is in full control of that offense. And that's what Aaron means. And then that's just pre-snap. Then you go to the post-snap with how his feet work. Dak even said earlier in the year, look. I feel like I've never played quarterback the right way until this year when I learned the West Coast way of playing and like learning with my feet and accuracy and like trusting that I can let the ball go because 90% of the time on this route, no matter who the receiver is, he's catching it at this landmark because that's the timing that it takes. So you're just seeing him taking this like 2D way of playing the game into this 3D immersive world that he's playing in. He's ripping seams versus cover two backed up. He's like scrambling, throwing dimes down the field. Like he is fully leveraging all of his skill set into all of this scheme and making it come to life. And that's the difference though. Like when you see a backup quarterback come in and play for a guy that's like, it's not his offense it's not his cadence. How many times do you see offensive linemen jump off sides when a new quarterback comes in? It's the cadence and it's the way that their inflection changes. And like, I guarantee you Dak could probably tell the guys, Hey, I'm not going to give you the snap count here. You'll know when to go, whether it's one on one or on two, because they'll know the inflection in his voice, how it changes from on one and on two. And I think that's what Aaron means when he's saying it's fun to watch him play, because that's the level that Aaron's played at for the last 10 years. It's it's science, dude. It's like the quarterback position is like a science and art mix and Dak's playing both sides of it. Incredible. Last question here before we move on to some DFS talk. Who do you think the Pats are going to take in the draft for some context? currently set at number three seed before this final week of football looks like they could slip to as far as you know the seventh pick but they could also be the number two pick if things go their way this weekend so who do you have them or do you who do you hope they draft this upcoming draft i would love to see them find a way to get a guy like marvin harrison jr like or even like they need him they need one of the one of the receivers that's been popping up lately in this like late playoff stretch even like one of the washington guys like I think what they need, whether it's a first round guy or a second or third round guy with a high ceiling, that's a little more raw. They need an electric playmaker because when's the last time they've had that? Can we think? I mean, I mean, like you, you might have to go back to like Randy Moss. That's that was the first one that came to mind. When is the last time that the Packers or the, the Patriots have had a guy? And I think right now they need they need to hit on a draft pick like that. That is a generational Odell Beckham type talent like a Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, like they need to hit on a receiver that can make a quarterback's job easier. Because right now, if you take some of these guys out of the equation for their quarterbacks, their careers don't look the same. And I'm sorry, I'll be the one to say it. 
Pat Mahomes last two years, especially this year, have looked a lot different without Tyreek Hill. Tua, his career has looked a lot different since Tyreek showed up. It can change franchises. It can change quarterbacks' careers, everything. Like, give your guys a chance to have the easy way out with a receiver that can go make plays that the Patriots have not had for probably over a decade. All right, let's talk some picks, Kurt. I think there's a little rebounding that needs to happen oh, this God, week. Oh, God, I little need Little birdie it. told me that last weekend was, was not a great weekend for you. No, I went 0 for 14 in my sleeper entries, and oh. I had to redeposit money. I had to do it for the, like for the real first time. Oh, no. I had to redeposit money, but that's fine because I love the board this week. I love, I love. <laughs> spoken like a true, oh, spoken like a true DFS guy. Dude, I, I mean, look at this board to... and I'm like, there's value everywhere with this weirdness of week 18 where some people are sitting, some people need it, some don't. Right now, though, like I do have this, I have this one entry, and I don't even know if by the time everyone sees this, it's going to be available. But this is this is one that I have two hundred and fifty dollars makes forty five hundred. This is I'm starting to swing for the fences here, guys. I'm done with these two to three these two to three Lakers. I'm going for five plus from here on out because I'm trying to swing big. Right. I have right. Josh Downs over three and a half receptions versus the Texans. Hopefully, it's still there. Maybe it's not. I have Josh Allen under an interception. I'm taking that Josh Allen in a gotta have it game against the depleted Miami Dolphins defense. I'm saying he's gonna take care of the football. Has it happened? I've done that once before, Kurt. Yeah, I've done that once before, and that that uh, lasted about, I think, five minutes in the first it, quarter before And it that might, lost. but I'm willing this into existence because I believe in Josh. I believe he's going to hit some Zen moments this this week. I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna show up. I think I think clean cut Josh Allen's going to show up when he needs it most, and when his team needs it most. No interception, Josh. I hope you're hope this finds its way into your inbox because don't throw that whole shot versus tight coverage this week. Just don't do it. We need you to just play clean, dude. Just run the ball. Then I got Allie Cox over one and a half reception. Their tight end with the Colts. I like that he has one and a half because one and a half is easy, and they're going to have to throw the ball versus the Texans. And also, he had two last week. Give me two receptions. I like it. Give me two receptions. It's a little, and it's a high multiplier. That's why I added it on this one 2.4x. So, like, what's good? Let me see it. Then we got our guy Shahid. Shahid is just the Gabe Davis of the South. But I think that he's going to have three receptions this week because the Saints need it. And I think that the Falcons are going to be giving extra attention to Alave. Give me Shahid three receptions. Derek Carr, please just hit him in his chest. Just hit him in his chest. Let him do his thing. And then last but not least, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers heading to Baltimore in a gotta-have-it game for them and a game where Baltimore has just not gotta-have it so much. Give me Chris Boswell over six-and-a-half kick points. Two mm-hmm. field goals, an extra point. I think they can do it. I think he can find a way to have six and a half. He had 10 and 12 in the last two weeks against the Bengals and the Seahawks. And I think he can find a way to get seven this week. So that's one that I like right now is like a, I put that one together already. Um, and right now we got some more games that are popping up. So got some reception lines. Everyone knows I love my reception lines. Um, what I'm seeing right now across the board though is you need to find guys that are going to get their targets. And right now, I think George Pickens is one of those guys. He's going to have over three and a half receptions. He had seven last week, four the week before. Mason Rudolph can throw the deep ball, and George Pickens can damn it. He can catch the deep ball. So give me his over, and give me Deontay Johnson's over of three and a half because I think he's consistently hitting four. But as of right now, that's about what I'm touching because this week's going to get flaky, but I, I do think there's some locks in here to be had. I agree. There's also some interesting incentives at play for players. So you always come oh, to week yeah. 18, 
you have these uh, you have these player incentives that in order to earn another 250k to a couple million bucks, a player needs a catcher too. So we have them listed out here. Do with this information what you will. You know, there's a lot of great examples of players hitting this in their last week. Um, I just was doing some research and Christian Kirk last year needed something like two receptions and 91 yards to uh, earn another $500,000. And he hadn't done that for four weeks in the last week of the season. He's, he manages to string oh, together. They'll, they'll feed, they'll feed those yards. guys, dude. And trust me, the coaches, this is, this is the cool part about these bonuses. The, the rooms, no, like the coaches in the room. So like the receivers room, they talk. And you got guys like uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think he needs like six receptions or something like that. Is that on the list? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is not on this list, but as you talk, I'll pull yeah, it up think, because he needs around there. I think he needs six receptions for like 250K and then he needs some other stuff for like another 500K. But you got guys like him that are vets, right? Like that have influence. You cannot tell me that these coordinators, if they don't, if they're not looking out for their guys, they're going to find a few screens here and there on these reception props. And I, you guys know I love reception props. But this week especially – Go digging for these incentives because there will be designed screens for these guys. And if there's not and it doesn't hit, that's a good bet gone bad. But I'm really liking some of these incentives, and I think they should influence your decisions on these DFS plays. So to come back on Jandra Hopkins, he needs seven receptions for a $250,000 bonus, and then he needs something like 49 yards only for another $250,000. And if he manages to score two touchdowns, he gets another $250,000. Give me D-Hop so- legacy game. Give me a D-hop legacy game. And Tannehill's in, and Tannehill's a vet. And Tannehill's going to feed his guys. So, dude, we, we might have just found the gem. Go find DeAndre Hopkins when he becomes available in these entries and go hammer his receptions at least, and maybe his yards if it's low enough. We'll, we'll list a couple others for people here. OBJ needs five catches for 250,000 yards. Okay. Nelson Aguilar needs 58 yards for 250,000K. Okay. Or 20, 250K. Dalton Schultz needs six catches for 250K and 107 yards for another 250K. Jadavion Clowney needs one sack for $750,000. So that might be a really sneaky one. You might be able to get a pretty good multiplier on that too. Let's go go see. Is it? Let me see. (laughs) Maybe. It's not up yet. These these rats. (laughs) If it's up, if it's up, it's going to be a spicy one. Joe Mixon needs two touchdowns for 100K. And, And the nice part here is like, even if they're trying to feed Joe Mixon, you know, his, his line is probably only going to be at half a touchdown. Exactly. So you just take the more on that. And I mean, you don't need to actually score. Yeah, two. You don't got to go crazy. Josh Reynolds. Yeah. Josh Reynolds on the lions needs 36 yards for 250 K Alexander Madison needs 91 rushing yards for 250 K Jordan loves needs to make the playoffs for 500 K. That's not something that Dude. you can place an entry on, on, on sleeper, but that is, but you can uh, take his passing touchdowns. You can take his passing touchdowns at one and a half. What's it going to, what's it going to take? to make it to the playoffs. Give me sure. Jordan Love over 1.5 passing touchdowns. Set it 1.53 multiplier, which means which means Sleeper thinks he's going to throw for three probably. Once that multiplier starts getting like under 1.7 to 1.6, 1.5, 1.4, then they bump it up to 2.5, and it's a higher multiple. So if you want as close of a sure bet on passing touchdowns based on what their odds are saying, Go grab Jordan Love, 1.5 passing touchdowns, because I am. I'm making I'm making an entry right now. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm like, George Pickens is in it. Shahid's in it. Jordan Love's in it. And right now it's 250 makes 970. And I'm looking for a few more sprinkles because I need action this week, Tyler. Like, I'm not trying to go into the playoffs <laughs> on a cold streak. Did you sound down bad? I'm not, I'm not resting my guys. <laughs> I'm not resting. I'm not resting my wallet. <laughs> yeah. I'm not resting. I got you. I got you. 
Well, here, here's a ridiculous one. I don't know how this helps in the context of DFS, unfortunately. It's just crazy that I have to read it. Darius Slayton needs one catch for a $2.5 million bonus. So again, you know, he gets his one catch. Who, who knows how much they're feeding him? But the fact that he just needs million? one. $2.5 million. Oh I couldn't believe it. When producer Roddy put that in there. Producer I myself, Roddy. I love it. That could not be a real stat, but but alas, it is. Uh, let, let's find a couple others for okay. you. Devin Singletary needs something like 165 rushing yards for 125K bonus. Uh, Chris Jones needs just half a sack for a $1.25 million oh bonus. Oh my God. That one could be spicy. Who are they Although playing? If, I don't think Mahomes is. I think they're resting their starters. So Chris Jones might Dude, not even. Chris play. Jones needs to suit his ass up and go out there and get that sack, man. Although he might. I mean, you know, a first half, you know, try to get a half a sack if you can do it. Austin Eckler needs something like 120 okay. yards for a $100,000 bonus. I already mentioned Madison to you and Dalton Schultz. So there's a lot out there and you can look it up. Um, like even Baker Mayfield has a lot of interesting incentives that don't exactly correlate to. Um, to DFS. So I'll just read them for you. He'll earn a million dollars in total incentives. If they make the playoffs, Respect. Um, $300,000, if he finishes in the top 10 of the entire NFL or the top five of the NFC in the following categories. So pass rating is one of them. He's currently ninth in the NFL and fifth in the Dude, NFC. Wait a minute. This is a passing touchdown legacy game. Is, yeah. Passing touchdowns. Another one. He's currently fourth in the NFL. Crazy. And fourth in the NFC. Uh, passing yards, another one. He's in contention for both of those. Completion percentage is another one. Not so great on that in, in the grand scheme of the NFL and the NFC. And then yards per attempt. So maybe if you're thinking Baker Mayfield legacy game, you sprinkle some touchdowns, you sprinkle some yards. Might be something he's considering as he is playing for a winning in game. Yeah, dude. I mean, I need to go cook with this. I know I know. as of time <laughs> of recording, Baker Mayfield's not available, but my eyes will be peeled all the way up until game time because... Look, man, Baker Baker may have some bad games here and there, but he's a dog. And I think <laughs> Baker's going to do whatever the hell it takes to get his money and get his team in the playoffs. And yeah, the, the Bucks are one of those teams that I'm like, if they get in the playoffs and they have a good, like if they show up that day, they could beat anybody. They could, they could compete with anybody, but if they don't show up, they could look like they did last week against the Saints. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong here, a guy like Baker Mayfield is probably thinking about winning the game more than his incentives. Like, that, is that kind of a taboo topic in the quarterback room where it's like, you know, hey, Baker, if you, you know, if you throw three more touchdowns here, you get an extra 100K. It's like, dude, we're, we're, we're trying to win a game here. I think, I don't know. I think he's trying to do both, dude. I, I think the, okay. the thing in the locker room is like, at this point in the year, everybody knows. Everybody mm -hmm. knows what starts to become available. And like, everyone's like, yo, like, you're like, you need 50 yards. And people pull for their teammates for that. So it's like, it's kind of like a side quest, right? Like you do the main quest in video games, but like these side quests, they're, they're pretty cool. And I think Baker Mayfield's going to find a way to finish his side quests while doing the main quest all to make the playoffs. Are they tiered? And I'm sure they are like, you know, you Kurt as a, you know, backup in the NFL wouldn't have the same incentives as Aaron Rodgers for much of his career or else you yeah. never hit them. But like how, how tiered are they? Like what, what would an incentive in your contract look like versus an incentive in, in Aaron Rodgers? Contract? Well, in my contract, I got paid for, cause I was so low. It was, um, I got paid per play that I was in. So like when I took my kneel downs, I That's got awesome. paid for them. But like, I would say the guys that have more guaranteed money have less bonuses and the guys that have less, are willing to take the, cause I don't, I think it affects the cap differently. Um, I don't know if it even affects the cap at all for these bonuses. So some of these guys will do a pay cut 
to go play for a team that they really want to play for and just bank on making all their money and bonuses. So I think it's a way to maneuver through the cap, but um, yeah. Also teams can be very generous in how low they set these benchmarks, like giving a number one running back 500 yards for the year rushing as a, you know, half a million dollar bonus is a way for them to give them like a layup. So teams, teams that take care of the players look out for them in the bonus category. And it's not a negative for the team when they hit these bonuses. Cause like, if they hit them, they're probably playing pretty well that year or well enough. So I think it's all a positive thing. Yeah, I think of a guy like Zach Wilson and his contract with a rookie contract. So it's a bad example. But think I don't know, Case Keenum, who came in for a couple of games while CJ Stroud was out. I'm sure his incentives were pretty low, anticipating he wasn't going to be playing much this yeah. year. And then when you get those two to three games, your eyes just probably light up as a you know backup player that gets to come in and really cash in on those incentives they are probably not all play-based I'd imagine like yours were, but yeah, I mean, they're probably low enough where you're like just checking these things off Heck because yeah. you're playing a, a full game. Dude in the NFL, like your career is so fleeting. So like any little bit of extra money you can make, dude, stack it, put it in the bank and be thankful that those opportunities opportunities came up because sometimes guys aren't even lucky enough to get an opportunity. Just wait around and nobody gets hurt or no opportunity comes up. So um, yeah, take advantage of anything that falls into your lap. All right. Well, we'll be trying to take advantage of some of these player oh, incentives. Dude. Hopefully, sleeper doesn't listen to episode before. I'm gonna let you know. I'm, sure know about I'm it. gonna let you know right now, Doug. <laughs> I have George Pickens for three and a half receptions. Dak Prescott one and a half passing touchdowns. Jordan Love one and a half passing touchdowns. Carlson, Anders Carlson over six and a half kick points this week against Chicago, and then Shahid two and a half receptions. Five hundred dollars pays like four thousand something, like upper fours. And if any one of these hits, then we're good. We're fine. And if they don't, we're good. I got to re-upload because it's the name of the game. But it's been a great year. I've been fortunate to be on the luckier side of the the stick being drawn in all of this, these entries in these games. So it's been a lot of fun. And, dude, soon enough, we'll be transitioning to some basketball entries. It'll be wild. That'll be crazy. We might have to <laughs> preface all of those entries with uh, I don't know what I'm don't talking know about. What we're talking about, <laughs> yeah, like this is a shot in the dark. Literally, yeah, this is not advice. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, a big week of football, Kurt. Dude, let's we'll, uh, let's do it. We'll circle back. Check in. Wait, can you check in on your tweet for me? Did you oh, actually yeah, yeah, post yeah. that? I did post it. Uh, okay. Let's see. The ridiculousness that Jordan Love hasn't made a Pro Bowl, but Tyler Huntley has made a Pro Bowl, has elicited oh, such man. reaction. It is pretty. It is, it's, it's, it's doing its thing. It's doing its thing. This is how, you know, you fully transitioned into a post playing career when you're just firing off purposely spicy takes like this. Oh, I yeah, think dude, I'm... a lot of people, you know, watch and listen to you because of your measured expert opinions on things. But every once in a while, you gotta, you gotta get them. Dude, I gotta like, I can't just let the, the sleeping dogs lie all the time, dude. I gotta let the dogs eat a little bit. So I'm going to throw them a bone, yeah. give them a little thing to get them like juiced up for something to talk about at work today. And then we'll meet back on Twitter after work. <laughs> Love it. I'm dude. You can find me on Twitter. I promise you that. <laughs> but no, dude, it's, this, this has been so much fun today. I'm, I like, I'm like starting to really like this. Uh, this is a Friday episode recorded Thursday. I think it gives us a nice little like break to let some more action happen. By the way, new listeners, old listeners, every Tuesday and Friday now episodes drop. Give me a little bit of a just time for things to accumulate in the NFL cycle weekly. And man, before we know it, the games will be here. Let's get it. Until next time, we are your hosts. See ya.